1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? I need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. Twenty-nine-year-old female, diagnosed as acute schizoaffective disorder. She believes that a machine called a Terminator was sent back through time. To kill her. My son, he's in great danger. Are you the legal guardian of John Connor? What's he done now? There was a guy here this morning looking for him, too. Yeah, a big guy on a bike. I wouldn't worry about him. Get down. <laughs> Who sent you? You did. 35 years from now, you reprogrammed me to be your protector here. He's a Terminator like you, right? Not like me. E-1000, advanced prototype. Kill us all! Go! Come with me if you want to live. We don't have much time. Excellent. It's definitely you. Hasta la vista, baby. Welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spataro, and today we are taking a look at Terminator 2 Judgment Day. So I have, returning, the same panel we had from Terminator. Mr. Scott Gardner. Hello. Mr. Bill Robinson. 
I have extensive files. And Mr. Mike Sumo. <laughs> Hello. How you guys doing? Awesome. Oh, yeah. Better than Miles Dyson. <laughs> well, everybody you know, for the longest time, I thought it was Miles Tyson with a T, and that it was just Arnold's <laughs> accent that made it he sound like chicken. Dyson. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. But, there ain't no chicken, man. You know, one of my one of my you other best in that thing. Though. What? That's one of my best impersonations that I like to pull out because it goes right with my Cisco, <laughs> which Paul would know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> I think I I think when you stayed here, you were doing that just to keep Scott from going to sleep. <laughs> oh well, you know. I was trying to keep, keep myself every time, awake. Every time he would show heavy eyes, you'd start going. <laughs> he, 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 he would wake up and just like be in total fear for his life. Well, it, it was bad enough when I wake up in the middle of the night and there's an albino silverback gorilla trying to use the restroom. <laughs> <laughs> ah! I, don't know. Uh, I'm I can hold it. <laughs> I'm just glad I was two floors away from you guys. So zombie dogs walking around. Jesus. I think we're going to have some healthy debate on this movie because I'm going to come right out up front and tell you this is one of my favorite movies, period. I love this movie. I think this was just incredible. And I'm thinking we have at least one person in our group who does not agree with me. So Mm -hmm. I think that could be that could make for some fun. But let's start with our experience seeing this movie. Now, by the time this came out, we all were familiar with the first Terminator movie, correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. Definitely. Did we all see this in the theater? Yes. 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 And I'll start off with, when you saw it, what level of anticipation did you have for it? And were you spoiled going in? I think those are the two questions. I'll start off by saying, I was not spoiled. I did not know what was going to happen. And my only real thing was the teaser trailer that was on the uh, VHS copy of Total Recall where they showed the factory making the different Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminators right. and it just ended with I'll be back which I don't even think he recorded for the video I think it was just a replay of him saying it in the first Terminator movie right it was right. yeah and that was it that was my exposure to this so I came into this pretty clean and as as you can probably pick up from my tone. I was pretty stoked by it. You know, that trailer made me think for years that he looked at his arm when he came back through time. But then the trailer Terminator kind of flexes its arm. And for mm-hmm. years, it would drive me crazy Like that I always thought I saw that in the movie. I'm like, where the hell did I see that? And then I finally saw the trailer again. Oh, there it is. That trailer, I mean, I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere, but that trailer um, was on the very beginning of Total Recall. And I was working in video sales back then. I was working for a a company called Saturday Matinee. I don't think they exist anymore. And we sold the crap out of that out of that movie, out of Total Recall, um, partially because I mean it's a great movie. You know, it had Arnold and everything. But a lot of it was because the word got out that the the T2 teaser was on that video, and so everybody wanted that that video when it came out. And I'm trying to remember if that one came out at a sell-through price back then or not. I I don't I don't remember if it did or not. Um, but yeah, we we sold a ton of that uh, largely because that trailer was on there. And we used to um, 
play it on the, you know, we had a monitor in the store, you know, that there, there was like banks of TVs. I don't know if you remember old video stores, you know, mm-hmm. used to have that, you know, we'd walk yeah. in, there'd be like a monitor, up, I mean, like a big monitor up front or maybe in the back of the store. But then there were like banks of like three or four monitors, you know, arranged, you know, through the store. And we'd put that T2 thing on and the whole store would just stop and everybody would watch it. And then they'd come up, hey, what is, what is that? Can I buy that? <laughs> so, yeah, we, we'd sell the <laughs> crap out of it. But, uh, yeah, I was jazzed, you know, when, when they announced this and, you know, when we found out that the sequel was coming and all that. And uh, the girl I was dating at the time, she was a huge uh, Terminator and Schwarzenegger fan. She really uh, liked Schwarzenegger. And she kind of got me into Arnold more because, I mean, I, I liked Terminator, of course, but at that time, I don't think I'd really seen many of his movies. I, I'd seen Conan on HBO. I don't even know if I'd, I'd seen it, like, all the way through. I think I'd seen it in, like, bits and pieces and Total Recall, and I think that was really about it because he was just kind of starting to come up, you know, uh, when uh, when T2 came out, as I recall, anyway. Um, but yeah, really excited for it. We went to see it at, um, the, uh, Carousel Mall in Syracuse, which I, I don't even know if that exists anymore. I think it that, that was like a state of the art cineplex at the time. And we went in and, and watched it there and they had, you know, like state of the art sound system and all that. And it was, uh, it was quite the, quite the experience, you know, going to that. And I'm, I think we went to the premiere if I remember properly, because back then I always went to movie premieres, you know, if I could possibly make it. And I remember that being a big deal. But yeah, it was it was huge. But actually, my my fondest memory of of theatrically seeing the movie was, uh, you know, during the brief time that uh, that Honeywell and I actually lived together in Rochester. Uh, there was this great old timey movie theater not far from where we lived. That was like an old like vintage movie theater that somebody had bought and and saved. And it was kind of on the decline and all. It was kind of, you know, it was a little decrepit and what, but just the fact that it was, you know, an actual like vintage, you know, from like the golden age of cinema type thing. And they had a double bill of Terminator and Terminator 2. And that was that was awesome watching it there. I really enjoyed that a lot. And that's probably my fondest memory of of watching it, you know, at the movies. But, man, I saw that movie God, it had to be a dozen times when it was running theatrically because like everybody wanted to go see it. And I think of of my circle of friends and family, I think I was the one that had seen it first. So then everybody wanted to go and I just kept going. I remember going to see it like, you know, like I say, with Honeywell and I saw it with my dad and saw it with like uncles and friends. And so I just saw it over and over again and then bought it when it came out on video and all that and had the really nice. There was a nice box set that had a, a hologram on the front. And I think it was a lenticular hologram, if I remember right. I think it was like if you if you looked at it a certain way, it was like like naked Arnold, or you know, like from the <laughs> you know what I mean, like chest yeah, of Arnold, you, you know, Terminator. Yeah, I thought it was half Arnold and half Exo. I thought it was his face, and that one one way it was Arnold's face, and one way it was the skeleton head. The skeleton, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was the one. Yeah, and it had the making of video in it and all that. Yeah. It kills me because that thing's worth probably like 25 cents now. But back in the day, I'm pretty sure that was like 100 bucks easy, you know. But, yeah, yeah, that was the special edition of it. I never owned that one. Yeah, that's right. Much, yeah, it was. It was, it was yeah, just too much the, money to buy. Ending. Yeah, it had the special ending on it. Um, that was, I think that was the only way you could watch it was in that set. The 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 happier ending. <laughs> yeah, with our in the playground. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. Narrating, yeah. Yeah. As an old lady, yeah. Yeah. Bill? Oh, I was, I was, I was going to let Mike go. All right. Well, <clears throat> I did see it theatrically. I, I know that. I The only thing I was – I didn't see it first out of my friends. Because I do remember a friend of mine telling me something that – so I knew his arm was involved somehow, obviously, which, which turned out to be the endoskeleton from the first movie. So I was part a little bit, not too badly. I probably saw it, at the, if I recall correctly, it was a long time ago, obviously. But uh, it was when we were living in Brooklyn, so we saw it probably at the Canarsie Theater on Avenue L. This little uh, kind of four-theater uh, four uh, place. If it was a family trip to the movies, like what it normally was is my, me and my dad saw one movie. Uh, my sister and my mother saw something else, and they usually waited for us for an hour because our movie was always longer, but... I saw it once uh, with my dad, and I don't remember the actual experience of seeing it, aside from knowing, remembering that I saw it, and remembering uh, really loving it and enjoying it. Yeah, but I I do remember it being everywhere that summer, because my uh, my mother had me in a bowling league when I was that age in Brooklyn, and uh, after after we were done, there was a little arcade with like four or so uh, video games, and that T2 arcade game was there, and we played the hell out of that after we were done. So, I never played the arcade game. That, um, I, that's one area of it I never got into. Well, it was it was like one of those things that was all it was there, and we all just uh, that's where we went after we were done. But but yeah, you know I I always uh, loved this movie. I saw it for the first time uh, when I was ten, and it's probably it's probably also like uh, like what Scott said. It's probably what got me into Arnold uh, even more. I mean, I was just I was at a point where. I was just starting to watch R-rated movies, so I just kind of launched me into uh, the rest of uh, Arnold's career. So I don't think I was anticipating this movie, really. I think my dad was anticipating it more uh, than I was, because he was probably about the age, or close to the age I am now when the movie came out. So I, I think he showed me the first movie so he could take me to see this one. <laughs> yeah, I would do that, too. <laughs> How about you, Bill? I saw this uh, first first run um trying to look up the exact date right now but my computer is extremely slow late july as i recall oh come on you yeah all right so 1991 it opened opened actually early july uh throughout the country it was july 3rd 1991 but it, it had an opening on july 1st 1991 in los angeles only yeah, because I saw this while I was in the Navy, and I was stationed up in in Mayport in in Jacksonville. And I remember myself and another uh, guy on the ship. He was he wasn't a close friend of mine, but we were friends, and it was like, "Hey, let's go see the new Terminator movie." Yeah, yeah, great. So we we went like an afternoon showing, and it was packed. I had to sit. He and I both had to sit in the front row you know with the screen just huge in front of us and when the opening came with the giant you know with uh, you know because that would be giant there's nobody in front of us the only thing we see is the screen and you have the 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 terminator stepping on the skull and coming into view and we're like whoa holy (laughs) crap i mean it was it was awesome it was awesome it was i mean it's you know it's that's one of the few times and i don't know it's because we were in the front row but it was just so just it was a great experience i really loved the movie when i saw it and 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 i know 
I probably I don't know how many times I saw it in the theater because Scott can attest to this. When you're in the military, you have no overhead. So you could spend a lot of money on yourself if you want to. Oh, on, absolutely. <laughs> on comics and CDs and movies and back then it would be VHS tapes and you just like, you know, yeah, yeah, buy it, buy it, buy it. Me, 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 me. Movies, movies, movies. Dinner, dinner, dinner. <laughs> Then you get ready to get out of the service, and you're like, "What? What do you mean I got to pay for housing, healthcare, food? Oh crap!" So, no, it was it it was it it was awesome. And I got a couple other stories later, but I'll bring them up as we go along. Well, as as they fit in, just throw them yeah. in there. So, uh, my understanding on this one is that James Cameron uh, was actually hesitant to do this movie; that he he wasn't really stoked to do it. And he did it more based on the friendship he had developed with Arnold Schwarzenegger and the relationship he had developed with Linda Hamilton because mm. they wanted to do it. Uh, so he took a lot of the ideas that he had for the Terminator in his original draft that he wasn't able to do, things like the liquid metal and things like certain action sequences uh, that were either not, you know, not uh, mechanically possible to do at that time or that they didn't have the budget to do at that time, because now he was given a budget of, where is it? 102. One, 94 to $102 I I don't know, you know why, what that range actually is. That's uh, a huge budget back then. Yeah, yeah that uh, was any, like anything over $100 million 100. was huge. Yeah. I think this was supposedly the first one that broke $100 million. That's I, possible. I kind of remember sure. that, that you know being said, oh my God, it's $100 million. How will they ever make their money back? Yeah, I think they did because the Wikipedia page says they made five hundred and seventeen million. So, I and that's just box office. That's not counting everything, everything that else, counts later. merchandise and video release and. Yeah, I would. Oh, say, yeah. I would say they definitely uh, made a good investment on this one. But you know, we we brought back Linda Hamilton and we brought back Arnold. Only this time he was in a new role. Because now he was the savior as opposed to the, uh, the killer. The killer, yeah, exactly. I uh, was not spoiled. I knew nothing. I mean, other than oh, hey, it's another, first, you know, maybe just from some commercials. Didn't the I didn't trailer to... spoil that though? I, I I don't remember being spoiled by it, so I don't. No, I don't remember being. You know, uh, I mean, maybe maybe I just didn't see every trailer, but I yeah. don't remember being being spoiled. That that he was the that he was the good guy the the good Terminator. Do you do you think it was a scene with like him on the motorcycle maybe with young John in front of him? Was that in the trailer? I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, because that was a good question. You know, were, were you spoiled going in? I I was initially going to say no, no, I don't think so. I think I went in fresh. But now that I think about it, I think that I did. I don't recall I, being surprised. Yeah, I I think I did know that, or or at least maybe suspected it was probably out there in like Starlog or something. But I think at the very least, I think I suspected that that the term, you know, that the classic Terminator, the Arnold Terminator, this time around was in like a protector role as opposed to you know trying to kill John. And I and yeah, I think that's because that image did get out there of of you know them sitting together on the on the bike. I, I think, but yeah, geez, I mean, that's really, I, I, that's straining the, I do have the a feeling if I go back to a trailer, 
somewhere, I'll find something that's where he says my mission is to protect you. Right. See, I think that uh, I, I, as best as I recall, I was not spoiled. And trying to go back to my frame of mind at the time, I think I had gotten so used to Arnold in a hero role at that point. Because after the Terminator, you know, we got Predator, we got right. uh, what's called Total Recall, we got Commando, uh, and there's probably a couple of others even that I'm forgetting in between the, the two. Uh, so he hadn't played the villain again during that time. So I was used to him in the heroic role by then, and... Uh, I don't think it really, I don't think I found it shocking, but it was still unexpected. Has he ever played the villain again? Do you want to count Batman and Robin? <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. I, I, yeah, <laughs> but, I mean, that. that was so campy that it's almost like, has yeah. he ever played the villain again where, you know, where you were supposed to actually be fearful of him? Uh, I don't know that I he don't has. Know. I'm going to quickly check his IMDB page. Uh, and see if that gives me anything to go on. I don't know what I've never seen. I know people. You've never seen this. Uh, I've never seen him in the Expendables, so I don't know. And that's uh, he was kind of uh, kind of an ally type. Uh, he wasn't a he wasn't a uh, full on villain. Yeah, there's there's a few of his movies I still haven't seen. I didn't see the the clone one. The what was that sixth, sixth day or something like that? I haven't yeah, seen, I, yeah. Haven't, I haven't seen a lot. I haven't seen a lot of uh, his stuff over the like the last ten years. I, I, I saw that. It was uh, yeah, it was all so right. It, well, after the Terminator, it was a Schwarzenegger movie. Yeah, just, just going through his movies after the Terminator, we had Red Sonja, which he had a I think just a tiny part, and I never saw that. We had Commando, uh, Raw Deal. Predator, oh. Running <laughs> Man, Red Heat, Twins. Which one was Raw Deal? Was he the that, Russian in that one? No, no that that's Red, Red Heat. Heat. That's Red Heat. But but he he pretty much played the hero in every movie here. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. In, yeah. in between the two, I like you know I, I don't know about after that. I'm just taking a quick look. Nothing jumps out at me. Well, even leading up to the first film, I remember his agent was discouraging him from being the villain but well originally he he they wanted him to play the kyle reese role right but she wanted to be the terminator mm-hmm. and and i think he i think he set his career his career in motion by playing the terminator because i think he's uh oh he, he definitely made a good choice yeah I, I i think you know it's almost that he's willing to poke fun at himself and there's so many things that have just come from it uh that i think it's it's been a you know I think it was a great career choice. Um, we added in Edward Furlong, who really hasn't done a hell of a lot since then. He's done a lot of drugs. Yeah, that he's done. And, you know, minor spoiler, he's got a, uh, let's just say an appearance in the new Terminator movie. But uh, Am I am I in assessing him as only slightly better than uh, young Anakin? As as far as acting ability, well, acting ability and just sheer annoyance factor, because he annoys the crap out of me in in this movie. Part of it is he's he's right at like the puberty age, so his voice breaks a lot, and it it, just, it makes me crazy every time I watch he it. Hit, he hit puberty during the movie. They had to go back and redub him. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, there's there's a number of, of points where he he has that you know that pubescent squeal you know where, where you know his his 
manly voice hasn't quite kicked in yet when he when he tries to you know when he screams or something and he he, you know, he yeah. just that that girlish sound but i don't know i, I, I always the, thought he was not the 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 great i mean he's not horrible he's not uh you know he's not little jake lloyd but he's not far off from it either you know and and the problem with little jake lloyd is i i don't feel that the annoying factor in uh in in the Star Wars movie is really his fault. I, I just think I think a lot of it has to go with I, a lot of it has to sit with George Lucas. I oh, think he, most I, of it I, has to sit with George Lucas. I, I think it's the, the the lines that were written for this kid, and I think it's the way he was directed. Right. We are talking about the Jake, same Jake Lloyd that was in Jingle All the Way, right? Yes, it is with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, so we connected the two. Oh yeah, I, I, I think some of it was Jake Lloyd. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I'm Sorry, not saying. Man. I'm not saying the kid. I'm not you, saying. You, you, you can blame George Lucas all you want. I, I've been watching. Oddly enough, where I work, um, at the VA ho- hospital, they've been on, Jingle All the Way has been on rotation. Every time I go by the exchange, and anytime I see Jake Lloyd on there, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jake. Sorry, Charlie. Well, the issue I have is that. Uh... Oh, you know I, Arnold did play the he did play play the villain in the streets of San Francisco. You told me to. You told me <laughs> to. Me to. You stop laughing at me. <laughs> that predates Terminator, though. Uh, well, I, you didn't. You just said. Well, we were talking about in between the two movies. All right. Well, he was an ex-con in, on Tales from the Crypt. I don't even remember that. He was uncredited in in the huh. Switch. It's, I don't even remember him being on Tales of the Crypt. Uh, on HBO. Hmm. That's the the one with the Crypt Keeper, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't remember that at all. Chris Honeywell. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So I think we're all in agreement that uh, that Edward Furlong did not have much of a career beyond Terminator Two. Now, I I agree with you that he was annoying at times, but I think some of that was almost by design. Because I I think at least the way I well he was written to be an obnoxious kid yeah he yeah, was written to be obnoxious like, oh the hero the hero of the resistance and you're like oh god this kid what an a hole but I think we I think you know we're meant to see some growth in his character throughout the course of the movie and I do yeah. think we see it from the point when we do you know he's using his skills to steal money from an ATM until he's you know pretty much directing you know a killing machine on what he can and can't do and showing the emotion when that machine has to self-terminate i i you know that that was a powerful enough scene that it was recreated by bill and myself (laughs) (laughs) now i know why (laughs) so you know i i do think just to to, you know to, to in all seriousness i think this movie had it, it certainly had the action beats to it, but I think it had a certain amount of heart in that way, and I think that's one of the things that makes it uh, stand out above the subsequent sequels that didn't seem to have that same heart to them. In, in at least in, in my in my uh, humble opinion. Oh, definitely, it, it did. Yeah, because when uh, well, we're not talking about the third movie, but I thought that still came out while I was in the service. And I remember not being as jazzed for that. Or whenever it did come out, it was still... 2003. Oh, wow. That you would have been, been out of the service by then. 
Yeah. You you were in the service of your wife by then. Yes, I was a service <laughs> of Satan. Oh, I mean, uh, sorry, did I say that out loud? But uh, now, yeah, when we'll, you when we'll you say it has heart, are you are you talking specifically about the you know the I know now why you cry scene? Uh, I mean, not specifically that. I'm talking about that. I'm talking about Linda Hamilton doing a voiceover, watching right. Arnold and and young uh, John Connor, you know, kind of learn from each other. Okay. Uh, you know, things of that nature that went on in the movie. Uh, you know, the the attempting to kill Miles Bennett Dyson, and you know her having that regret afterwards after she attempted it. Yeah, yeah, when they played the courtship of Eddie's uh, stepfather in, in the background, they're playing. Oh wait, no, no, that didn't happen. <laughs> but you know, I I, th- I think there were some. My point is, I think there were some emotional beats in here that helped to keep these characters somewhat three dimensional. Uh, that I don't think we've. You know, I I think a lot of other movies have failed to do it, and I, I you know I do give credit to James Cameron for bringing those out. You know, when we, when we talk about Jake Lloyd in uh, Phantom Menace, or for that matter. Uh, Who's the, the the older actor who took over the same role? Hayden Christensen. Yeah, Hayden Christensen. Oof. I think a lot of yeah. their, their poor performances in those movies, or what's interpreted as poor performances, is almost due to an apathy that George Lucas has towards his human performers in these movies. I don't, I don't think he pulls. Well, maybe out the some best people just can't act, him. especially in the prequels. It's hard to act right. in front of in nothing that, in that environment. Yeah, a, a, just a green nothing. Well, I've said on, on numerous occasions, I feel like George Lucas was more concerned with getting the special effects that he wanted and, and moving along the action sequences. And that when it came to the human performers, it was like, okay, did you did you hit your mark? Did you give the line? Did you make any mistakes right. when you said it? Okay, did we're going to go with that. Right I'm not going to really I'm not going to really worry about if you know if you're emoting properly. Right. So, I think George, I think uh, James Cameron in this movie to keep bringing it back to this. I think he did a better job of making sure that he did get some, you know, some true emotion out of these characters as as these scenes were done. You know, we we make fun of Edward Furlong for the you can't die, you can't, you can't, but it still felt genuine to me. It may be a little over the top, but it still felt genuine. It didn't feel forced. It didn't feel like he was just reading a line. Well, a lot of times, kids are over the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially at that age. Yeah, in a in a high uh, stress moment. Uh, yeah, I, and, and and he's a kid that hasn't had a father figure because well, right. his father's dead, and he's bouncing from you know, was, and his mom's Todd. She's <laughs> not my mother, Todd. <laughs> Who the mom is a uh, James Cameron alum. Well, she, she's uh, she's uh, did anybody have a mistake of her man? Yeah, well, she she was also in Titanic, <laughs> and she was in uh, yeah. she was in Lethal Weapon two as well. Was she? Oh, that's yeah. Wasn't she one of the people that gets killed? Yep, she was one of the cops that gets killed. Oh, yeah. It's hard, but it's it's hard to picture her. Vasquez, uh, right? Vasquez. Vasquez, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to picture her in this. What was he? She Janiel or something like that. And Janelle, Janelle, something, something, that, something yeah. along those lines. It's hard to picture that and Vasquez being the same actress, <laughs> but they are. How's Wolfie? And oh, just Wolfie's just fine. Just, just to take, uh, I just heard recently that Wolfie was uh, the name of James, Cam- James Cameron's dog. <laughs> so he he did he managed to to sneak that in. We named a we dog. Called the Wolfie. dog Wolfie. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, 
I really thoroughly enjoyed the transformation of Linda Hamilton from, you know, she, she learned how to be somewhat of a warrior in the first movie, but she took that to a whole nother level in this one. Well, yeah, that she became yeah. a warrior because of like fight or flight and she had Reese there and now she's become and in some ways super you know, surpassed Reese in her fighting abilities. Right. You know, she's uh, she's a training herself for what's coming. Yeah. Yeah. And the sad thing is that her son just doesn't believe her. Yeah. Yeah. My mom's a little crazy. You know, she's a little off. By the time the movie's over, he totally knows. Yeah. yeah. Well, Well, that's the thing, though. Would you you believe her? He never doubted anything about her until she got caught. Because, you know, as he's telling that that story to his friend of his. That's true. Yeah. He talks about that, that, you know, it yeah, was my mom says I'm some type of way with some type of saver. But, yeah, then she got. Yeah. But he, he, he yeah, does he say the line about, you know, your mom's a psycho kid. He does express you know? regret, but he does express regret about not believing her. He does say nobody believed her, not even me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I do like that. That part of it later on when he realizes that, you know, she's been shouldering this, you know, awful burden all by herself and you know didn't even have him. It's a nice. Yeah, I, I, mean, I don't argue that it that it doesn't have you know genuine emotion. It really does, I and mean, it, it gets you invested in the characters and care about the characters. Well, it's but, a nice callback too that we get the same psychiatrist from the first, you know, the uh, same doctor. I will argue that I no. that's one of the go, things go that ahead. really pushes my credibility with this. Why movie. he didn't get killed? Yeah, because, no, I know he didn't get killed, but he goes. Wait, which part stretches it? aboard you know what's he call himself a criminal psychologist in the first one so now he's running a, an insane asylum how, how the hell does he make it's that is, is, is he running it is he yeah, running it or doctor. is he just assigned to sarah's case I, yeah i didn't see i figured he was just assigned to her as a doctor because of the documentation from before because well, maybe he's still trying to make a career out of this case like he said he could yeah yeah, right. because yeah, because I mean, he's I, I see all those points. It just I don't know. It's it's still I mean from the from the moment I saw this for the first time in the theater when he popped up as more than just a, a little cameo when he was actually such a big part of the the whole story. I was like uh, I don't know. It just yeah, but I, I don't I remember felt them like it was saying a stretch. But I don't remember them saying he was in charge. I just assumed she was. But he put him in charge. I just assumed he was. I mean, her he's doctor. in charge of her, clearly. You know. Well, yeah. yeah. But that yeah, I did, but that's that's kind of the because way they I took because it. they suspect that she is with the with the first Terminator and was involved with the shoot up of you know with the all the killings in the police station the first time. That's the way I interpreted it, that he was involved in that particular case and he stayed with it for her. Although that is probably not really a very good explanation because I think some time passed. Obviously, you know, John is about 12 years old at this point. So it's not like she was hauled to jail and has been in jail for 12 years. She raised him for quite a while. Right. Before she was put in in this, you know, mental. But she's also been in this institution for a while too. At least I would say. It's unclear how long she's been there, though. No, they don't say. But I I don't. I don't think it could be more than a couple of years. Right. That's something that bears pointing out that I think has been lost over time is that when this movie came out in '91, the movie itself was still several. You know, the the year it's supposed to be in the movie was still several years in the future. 
Right, now like ninety four or ninety five. Yeah, this now movie that has to be ninety five. It's been lost. The police computer says John is ten and was born on February of eighty five. Right. I made it a point when I watched the movie the other night to to read the computer, so it has to be somewhere right. in ninety five. Okay. Yeah. So now, uh, I guess the one actor we haven't hit upon is Robert Patrick, who was joined in the movie as the <laughs> T-1000. And I remember, I don't remember if it was a making of documentary or if it was a commentary or what it was, but I remember James Cameron saying he liked the way he tested for the role because he had kind of like a cat-like quality to him. And that he could just do this unemotional and yet, you know, uh, smooth movement kind of thing. So he, he kind of fit the role of the Liquid Terminator. And despite what some people say, because some people say, well, big deal, you know, he's just, uh, you know, a cipher in the movie. I don't think he really is, because when he's talking to people and trying to pretend that he's not a Terminator. He seems much more human than the original Terminator was. Yeah, he, he, he seems almost charming. When he's talking to people, when he's, you know, have mm-hmm. you seen this boy? You know, that, that, all of that stuff. I, I thought, I thought he played it really well. And I thought he came off well. And then, you know, but then when he's supposed to be, you know, just all business, I think he plays that well. Uh, and I, I, I don't know why, but the picture that's, the, the scene that's just jumping to mind he is the guy in the that. helicopter with the get out. <laughs> <laughs> the way right? he would stare seemed very menacing. Yes. He could be menacing and yet charming at this, you know, in 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 either end of the spectrum, depending on what he's doing. So I really liked that aspect of it. Uh, I, you know, I guess we could hit on the term, the uh, the technology of the day, because the liquid Terminator, you know, that was groundbreaking special effects at that time. I believe they won an Academy Award too in some. I they, well, they won four. I. I, I had it up earlier, but uh, I closed the window and my computer's really slow. But yeah, there was it did it was nominated I think for five or six and won four. One of them was like best makeup. I'm not sure what the other ones were. I'm sure it was with special effects. Well, this is where effects. where Cameron really began to <clears throat> earn his reputation as a cutting edge director, you know, technology wise, because from here. Uh, he began to to push the envelope, you know, with each new film that he did, because it wasn't long after this that he was doing the the water tentacle and such in the abyss. And that's right, the abyss came after this, didn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Then, well, I thought the abyss came first for some reason. Oh, here we go. Academy Awards. Let's see. Uh, nominations. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Where's here we go? It was nominated for best cinematography. It did not win. It won Best Makeup, Best Sound, Best Sound Editing, Best Visual Effects, and Best Film Editing. Oh, no, it was only nominated for editing. It did not win. It won a lot of MTV Movie Awards that year, too. Best Villain, uh, Most Desirable uh, Female. Horror, yeah. Most Desirable Female. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Not just interesting that that I would be in a category. The, the, the Abyss was first. I it stand was. Corrected. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was I was mistaken as well. That's right, because I remember seeing that, I think, in San Diego. That would have been, what, 89, 90? I was not a fan of that movie. Not that we're reviewing that at this point. I really? I did not find it. did not pull me in at all. Wow. I'm, I'm Okay. Hmm. I'm, I'm shocked. <laughs> that's, that's, I guess I would say that's the one James Cameron movie that I really just didn't get anything out of. 
I mean, even even Avatar, which I make fun of for being exceptionally derivative, uh, I, you know, I was pretty engrossed in it while I was watching it. You know, I've never seen it from start to finish. I've seen bits and pieces. You know what? You call that. me when you watch ET. All right. That Whoa! One, that one hey, hey, jeez! Whoa! <laughs> that one to me is right up there with Aliens. In uh, I remember both those movies, Aliens and The Abyss, um, had this legend that grew up around them that they that you know there was so much more footage and that there were like special editions and all, and they eventually ended up putting those out uh, initially on you know VHS, of course, on videotape, and then later. Uh, I think the commercially available uh, editions now on Blu-ray and, and such are the special editions. But yeah, they had like a with both of sequence with the with the tidal wave at the end and stuff. Yeah, yeah, the tidal wave and all. Yeah, and uh, I, I think in both of the instances, uh, Aliens and The Abyss, I, I think it makes them better movies. I liked The Abyss. You know, I always liked. It. I always thought it was a good movie, but I thought the special edition was that much better because it it really added you know and kind of flushed the story out a little bit more and made some things that were a little ambiguous in the theatrical cut, a little more clear cut, but maybe yeah, that's the thing. Maybe, maybe I just didn't, maybe there were things that were ambiguous and they just didn't grab me because of aliens. I love, but the right. just didn't do it for me. Hmm. Interesting. But anyway, uh, so like the, the whole special effects thing, I just found like jaw dropping at the time. Uh, you know, it, it was totally beyond anything that had been done the closest thing to that was uh like there was a michael jackson video where he morphed into all different characters right uh but that to me even that didn't compare to this oh that was the eddie murphy one right you remember do you remember the no. time no no that what do you mean that's he, like turned into... oh that one okay i'm thinking of one where he turns into like a pile of sand and spins around and that was pretty uh that was a good one too so and then I mean the the whole freeway sequence in this is awesome. With the hel- helicopter going underneath the uh, yeah. the overpass. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have you know just just there's so many things and again I don't remember at what point in the movie I realized that Arnold was the good Terminator, but that initial sequence in the arcade and you know in the mall with uh, with Robert Patrick and and. Arnold Schwarzenegger, and they're both kind of converging on young John. Well, if you were unclear, Get Down was a pretty good hit, was the clincher. <laughs> now, that's the same... I, John do, to get I think we talked about this years ago, Paul, with uh, when we were doing Commando. Isn't that the same mall that uh, when uh, when they drive the Matrix out, was in? Yeah. I think I it believe is, it actually. is. I think it's like right. the gallery or something, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're right that it is. Because, like, when they drive out, like, it's the same shot of, like, when he was zipping out with the Porsche. Or, you know, they were following the, uh, yeah, the other guy. Oh, my God, I can't remember. I believe I forgot. Bennett? No, the other guy, the skinny guy. He holds by his foot. uh, Sully. Sully. Sully, I think it's When he's following Sully. I lied. (laughs) But, yeah, yeah, he's, uh, he's got, what, what? Did he have like a box of flowers and he had the shotgun in it? That was this one, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it, and the flowers dropped it around. And you're like, oh shit. And it was, they kind of drop it slow motion. Stepped on him slow motion. Yeah. And that's that's the point where they're going to reveal that Arnold's not the bad guy. But up until that moment, you still think he might the be the bad guy. It's still unclear. Mm-hmm. 
So I, I thought I thought that was exceptionally well played. And you know, it's a shame that these things do get spoiled because that's just a, a you know a great moment to come into it and and see. But just and it's still a great moment. You still even watching it now, you still feel the tension and yeah, no, you're it, right with the slow motion as, as the two Terminators converge on each other. You're right, definitely. And then even just, just them slamming each other into the wall. And uh, I'm, I'm going to throw it to Scott first. What do you think of the uh, score in this one? Because that scene has actually got me thinking about the score, the, you know, the electronic sounds and all of that that they go into. Um, I have to be honest, I'm not real crazy about the score to this one. Now, I am a big Brad Fidel fan. Um, I mean, he's responsible for uh, for the scores to at least three of my favorite movies I can think of off the top of my head with, uh, with Terminator, Fright Night, and um, Desert Bloom. Uh, I, I love his scores for those movies, but... Um, yeah, this one, uh, it's, it just doesn't do anything for me. Uh, I, as a matter of fact, uh, I re-listened to it today, uh, while I was at work driving around, um, you know, just to re-familiarize myself with it. Cause I was trying to remember, I was like, I think this is a score I didn't like very well. Well, let, and, let me interrupt you and just ask you one thing though. Is, is your not liking it based upon listening to it as a standalone entertainment or is it, in the movie itself that you didn't like it um that's no that's a good question um yeah as a as a standalone album i I don't think it's very good um within the movie as i recall now it's been a long time since i've i've sat and rewatched this you know start to finish um as i recall in the movie it works pretty well and the commercially available score last i knew now there may be they may have finally put out a complete score but um to, to the best of my knowledge, the commercially available scores that are out there are not the complete score. And so there's sizable chunks of the movie, you know, of the score in the movie that are not commercially available, like the, uh, the trench sequence, you know, when they're, when they're uh, riding on the motorcycle trying to get away from the, you know, the liquid Terminator. Is that's there a not available? Really? Yeah, that's not on the album, oh. at least not on the albums that I have. Um. And I, I was doing, you know, I did a search yesterday, looking to see, you know, is there a complete score for T2 out? And I couldn't find it. So, um, you know, so there are chunks of the score that, you know, that are not out there to, you know, to listen standalone from the film. Um, at, you know, as I watched the movie, I, I recalled thinking, you know, that the sound, you know, the soundtrack works and everything. So I, I guess it's mostly, you know, separate from the film that I don't think it. It's just, it's not especially memorable is is kind of my problem with it it's very you know it's very background which i guess you could argue with the first movie but i find the first movie's soundtrack to you know to be very listenable for the most part i mean now there are you know a lot of tracks that are just you know it's just dum 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 you know for you know five minutes as it's just kind of filling you know the background but i don't know the the t2 one just or excuse me t2 score just doesn't work as well it it it's kind of it, it's it's made for the movie that that it is so it's different than the score in the first one because you know, the biggest difference to me between t1 and t2 is that t1 is is very gritty if you know what i mean it it, it feels like what it is which is it's a low budget you know science fiction slash horror film and it has a certain grit to it and then the second one is 
you know, it's a bigger budget. It's it's much cleaner. It doesn't have that that rawness and that uh, that grit. And the score reflects that. So the score, while it's still synth and uh, you know using the metallic machinery sounds and all that, is is much cleaner, uh, if that makes sense, than the score in the first one. So the scores work well for for each of the films. It's just I, I just don't like the one for T2 as much. There, there's really off the top of my head, there's really only one track. Uh, on the album i can really remember liking and that's I, I can't remember the name of the track but it's uh when the uh liquid terminator comes for sarah for the first time in the hospital like after he, he comes through the bars and then mm. he's beginning to chase them and they get in the vehicle and they're trying to get away from oh them. yeah the score yeah. in that sequence is yeah. it's pretty that i like that that's pretty awesome um but in re-listening to the album today, um, that was really the only track that that really stood out to me. The rest of it is uh, is very kind of generic background, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, See, not I, not one of my favorite scores. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with you that I th- that it's background, but I thought that the from just from a movie watching experience, I thought the the background music was pretty effective because I thought yeah, it, 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 it serves it, the movie well. Yeah, I thought it, it set the mood, and it also added in at times to the suspense that was going on, or the action that was going on. And I think the somewhat like techno pop aspect of it kind of fit with a movie that is based on technology. Right. So I, I kind of I you know I as and and you know I've said many times I don't listen to the score as intently as you do. That's why I threw the question out to you first. Uh, because I, I know you do, uh, but I usually feel like you know if if the if the score is calling too much attention to itself, then it's probably not doing what it should. It, you know, in, in the most in most cases, it should just be well, kind of adding to the I, mood I, instead of creating its own right thing. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a common misconception though about scores is that it's not the score shouldn't necessarily call attention to itself. Um, cause then, you know, then it's becoming intrusive as opposed to complementary. Mm-hmm. but at the same rate, you know, a, a really successful score, um, serves a number of other purposes. I, I mean, I think the best example uh, of great scores are a lot of the John Williams movies because mm-hmm. you know, you take star Wars, like the original star Wars trilogy, the score is another character in the films, whether people realize that or not, it's not just backgroundish. It plays a part in those films in jaws. The music is the shark, you know? And so, you know, there's a certain complementary factor there, but it's, it's enhancing your experience because you, you strip that score out of it and you've got a completely different entity. Um, right. if you've ever watched the, the scene, you know, it's available on YouTube. You ever watch the, the throne room scene from the end of star Wars, the original star Wars minus the music. <laughs> and it's laughable. I mean, it, it's, it's a completely ridiculous scene that doesn't work, but you put that music in there and it's, it's epic. Are you, so, are you talking about with the fake Wookiee with the... Ah! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't disagree with anything you're saying, but what I'll say is like... And, and, and I do think you need a combination of a great score and a great filmmaker to do it right. But right. When, it's, when it's done right, and I'll, I'll use... Uh, you could use Star Wars, you could use Superman, you could use Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, 
conveniently old John Williams soundtracks. <laughs> uh, but each one of those has a great soundtrack as far as I'm concerned. And each one of those has a score that I could sit and listen to in my car with no right. movie playing. And, it, and I'll find them very entertaining just on a musical level. Right. But while I watched the movie for the first time in each of those cases, while I can guarantee you the score added to the enjoyment of the movie, I was not cognizant of it while I was watching the movie. Right, but your brain right, that's, was, that's, and and that's the big difference. Yeah, the, there is that you know there there's you, you, the music's operating on on a different level. It's yes. it's operating on a subconscious level. So you you didn't consciously sit there and think, what a great score. But with a successful score in a in a you know match to a you know a, a successful movie, you know a, a movie that uh, that the score complements, it sways you. So you know you you felt uh, thrilled at the at the appropriate moments. You felt excited at the appropriate moments. You cried, you know, when ET went home. You know things like that. That's what a successful score does. It doesn't jump out and slap you to say, "Hey, stupid music's playing," but it sways your emotions and it and it affects you on a on a you know on a subconscious and you know again if it's an effective score on a on a you know on a deep uh psychological level too it sways your emotions and so i mean this is a sorry this is a really complicated way to answer your question this score doesn't do that for me it's there and it's you know it works on a certain technical level but it not it, it's it's not the same as what he delivered for the first movie and it's it's almost surprising to me when I listen to T1 score and then listen to T2 score, it, it's almost shocking that it's the same guy because other than the main theme, they're two completely different scores, which, yeah, I mean, that that's fine. You know, you don't want, you know, your composer to just recycle a score, but at the same rate, you know, there's a lot of the T2 score. It, it I gotta be honest. It sounds a little phoned in to me, and that that's sad because I I really think the T1 score is uh, is a very underappreciated score um, because for all the you know dun 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 stuff, there's also a lot of really great uh, experimental stuff that he did with that soundtrack that nobody else was doing at that time, and he set a tone uh, with that that's uh, been oft imitated and, and seldom. Re- repeated and uh, you know he, he didn't even do it himself with the second one in my opinion all right i'm you know i i again i i accept that you're more of a score aficionado than i am but i i i found it to be very effective for my own purposes fair enough uh, so now i'm gonna I, take go yeah, ahead Bill. go ahead i have a little side story about this score so uh, when I, I was put it on whenever I would go on a first date. <laughs> no, no. Whenever, when you're at sea with a ship, there's a thing called underway replenishment to where two ships pull alongside, you transfer cables across, and you transfer supplies from tenders or fuel, etc., etc. And then when you're done and you the cables go back to each ship, you do what they call a breakaway. And it is customary to play a breakaway song. Now, for some reason, somebody on our ship 
the breakaway song. This breakaway song is played no matter what time the underway replenishment is done. And sometimes it's done in the middle of the night, like three in the morning. So you'd be laying in your rack and you would hear the announcements, but you could kind of drown out, you know, you know, people talking rack. No, it wasn't. It was a coffin rack. (laughs) So you're laying there and all of a sudden, like three in the morning, they're playing the opening theme to Terminator two. And we're like, and the first time we're like, what the hell? Everybody like gets out of bed and we're all looking around each other. And there's the, the lights you have on the ship at night are red lights. You don't have lights, lights, because you, if you open up a door, you need to have a red light. So the interior of the ship is all red. So you're looking at everybody and it's like this weird blood red color, you know, there's no definition, and you're like, what is, like, is that the Terminator 2 song? What the <laughs> hell is that? What's going on? Is this some kind of nightmare? And then and then they start this, like, super high-speed turn that they do with Breakaway. So, long story short, after, like, people started to complain about it, you know what they switched to? Superman. The ship's going, yeah, all right, this is much better. I can just stay in bed and listen. Yeah, oh, let me roll over and go back to bed now. Terminator 2 in the middle of the night while I'm trying to sleep. And it's cranked over the one MC, so it's playing through the whole entire ship at, like, top volume. That's like, my God. It could have been Anya, the Anya song, the breakaway Break away, sail away. Sail. Oh, that was a sail away. That was the name of it. Ugh. Yeah, that's <laughs> my that's my Terminator Two theme story. <laughs> All right, now I'm going to take it to an area where I think I could get some interesting discussion. What do you think of the just the premises of the movie? Sending back the second Terminator, uh, sending back a T-800 that's been turned around the plot to blow up uh, Skynet before it can come into existence. You know, just basically if the you, plot in general. All right. On the surface, on the surface, if you don't think about it too deep, you can, you can go with it. But if you really start to think about it and, and it kind for of me, apart. that's the, that's the problem with the later movies. It's like, okay, I thought it was, they could only send back one Terminator, and one guy, and then it all got blown up, and they couldn't send anything else back. But well, here we Reese are. Reese only said what he knew at the time. Reese only knows what happened until the time he stepped Well, that's the true, too. But, you know, Reese could, be, could have been completely wrong. Reese could have been stupid. Uh, well, wait. We sent back another one. And we sent back another one. And we sent back another one. He we fell in love with a picture. One. Hey, we've all done that. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> wait. Did I say that out loud? Oh, crap. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I had no problem with it then, but the fact that they keep recycling that for all the later, the latest movies that they came out with, it it, it gets kind of old. And I don't disagree, but but, but, but that's but not we're what not, we're talking about. Yeah, we're, we're talking not about, reviewing this based on what right, they did after right. it. When this came out, yeah, that's, totally that's kind of not fair to this movie. Yes, yes, no, I totally bought bought into it. I was like, oh, okay, well, that's pretty cool, you know, because to me, these these two, you know, the first and the second. I didn't really need anything else. I was fine. Even though I read a series of books that kind of picked up on it, and I liked the way they those were explained with like the T2 Future War books book series. I think we talked about that last time or 
you and I have talked yeah, about. Yeah, but that wasn't else. more Terminators going back through time, right? That was just advancing the timeline, right? Yeah, that was kind of uh, in that they they you you met the guy that was the basis for the future Terminators, and Sarah Connor like you know met the guy that was you know the special forces guy whose body they were molded after, and and there was things that John was doing you know that were. Like they were still kind of Skynet was still going to be created, even though they were trying to stop. It, it was it, it was an entertaining start series of books. But uh, but anyway, that's yeah, let's not get into those books. Well, see, I never I never bought that they succeeded in stopping Skynet because I always figured, you know, what, if the government wanted want, even from an early age, I guess if the government wanted its AI supercomputer, it was getting it. And if it wasn't going to get it from Cyberdyne, it was going to get it somewhere else. Well, I, I have a problem with that it was the, kind of inevitable. I have a problem with the premise of the time loop where they actually invent Skynet because pieces of the Terminator robot were left behind in time. <laughs> but that if they didn't yeah, invent, the if they didn't invent wait, it in the wait, first wait, place, then there's say, no robot to set back again, in time. You, you have a problem with that? I do have a problem with that. Okay. Right. I, I just want to make sure I heard you properly. Well, do, do, you, it, I mean, I, do you disagree or... Uh, I mean, one of the yes. things about time travel is that supposedly when you go back in time, you just created a parallel, an alternate offshoot. Right? Not necessarily. There's all sorts of different theories right. like okay. that. It all depends right. on all which right. premise you're going on. Here's here's where I have to jump in here. Okay. <laughs> all right. I want to preface everything I'm going to say with I like this movie, okay? Like this movie. I don't love it because it has a fatal flaw. Um all right, so I love time travel stories. Absolutely love them when they obey the rules. So there's there's a couple of different kinds of time travel stories. You've got a time travel story where time is like a videotape. And if you go back in time, you can alter it, and you're basically erasing over what was there, and you're creating a new thing. You know, anybody that's ever messed around with tape knows what I'm yeah. talking about. So there's that theory. And then you've got whatever the hell was happening in Endgame where every time you go back and screw around with time, you just create alternate timelines, which I what, hate That's that the what-if theory. Yeah. Terminator, the original Terminator, established its own rule. And the rule that they're going with in that one is actually one of the ones I like the best, which is the predestination paradox or uh, causal loop, which means that when you go back in time, you end up basically causing whatever it was that you went back to in time for. So in the Terminator, the Terminator. So you believe Reese was always do you believe Reese was always John's father? Yes. He has okay, to I'm with you there. Okay, good. All right. So by going by the Terminator that's, that's going back in time to kill John Connor causes the rebels to send Reese back in time to stop him, which everything that happens in that movie was meant to happen. So everything establishes the very future that both the Terminator was trying to stop and the future that Reese was trying to protect, or at least the person that he was trying to protect. The hero, Reese, ensures that Connor's going to be born because he's his father, whether he knows that or not when he goes back. I don't believe that he does. I don't, I don't believe he knows it. 
Um, but I think he that know. he was sent by John, so obviously John knows it. So John's ensuring his own birth, his own you know existence. The Terminator. There's enough clues. There's enough clues in Reese's dialogue in the first movie to support all that. Right. The Terminator ensures that the future is going to happen uh, so far as the Skynet portion because. Now, this is where you have to forgive me. I don't usually inject other stuff from, you know, usually I'm strictly a, you know, if it wasn't in the movie, then it ain't part of continuity. However, I really strongly embrace the novelization of this movie. And the novel uh, at the end explains that, uh, and this is picked up in T2, that the people that ran that factory where Sarah crushed the Terminator find the Terminator and they become Cyberdyne, uh, and they become the company that manufactures term, you know, that manufactures um, Skynet, and eventually, you know, Cameron always so intended for that. To be- it's a causal loop. It, everything that that you know that happened by them coming back in time assured that everything was going to happen. So you're you're this, you know, so it's a nice circle. So part of my problem, Cameron did intend right out of. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Cameron did intend for that to be Cyberdyne. There is, there is a, cu- a cut scene from the first movie when she's being pulled away on the stretcher that it pulls away from the building and it does say Cyberdyne Systems on top of it. Okay, yeah. So That was always intended to be Cyberdyne. So the first movie establishes what we're looking at, which is, you know, it's a causal loop. Everything runs in this circle of time. So you're kind of you're, you're kind of in an egg, you know, you're kind of in a circle. And you can't really come out of that circle by using time travel because now you've established that if you if you go back in time, you're just assuring, you know, this circle. All of a sudden, here comes T2. And this is my real problem with the movie. Again, uh, like I say, I like the movie. But I like the movie, and, and I think Bill put it perfectly. He picked the very thought right out of my head, which is you got to just turn your brain off with this movie. And that's honestly my biggest problem with the film is that the original Terminator is not only a damn good movie. It's one of the best science fiction movies to come out, I mean, ever. It's a great science fiction film, and it's smart. It's, it's very clever. T2 is lazy because at the end of the day, it's a fun action movie. I mean, I enjoy the hell out of it when I watch it on an action movie level, but it's a dumb actioner. It's not smart. And and here's the reason I say that is that so now we have another Terminator comes back through time, followed by another hero. And we go through the whole thing again, except this time we end up changing the future into something completely different. Well, you can't do that because you've already established the rules in the very first movie that everything that you come back, when you use time travel, everything still, you just reassure that everything's going to happen. You're stuck in a causal loop. You can't have it both ways. And my, my real evidence, you know, in air quotes, evidence for this is the fact that no outside influence makes Sarah go on her mission in T2 to take down Cyberdyne. She just suddenly decides to do this with no outside influence whatsoever. She can't talking, do that. 
You're talking about the mission that lands her in the hospital? No, when when she has her little nightmare sequence when they're in the desert, and then she right. comes out of it and she decides, okay, you know, I'm going to go off and I'm going to kill Miles Dyson, Bennett Dyson yeah. and I'm going to prevent the future. She can't do that because she's already part of history. She's already stuck in this cycle. The only way that that would work is for an outside influence that knows what the future is to come back and and put her on a mission that's going to be divergent from how history plays out. Nobody's doing that. Nobody That does happen though. The evil terminator and the good terminator neither one of them uh you know put put her on that path. She just suddenly decides to do it herself and it it doesn't right, work. Right, she decides to do that based on the information she gets from the terminator. Right. But what I'm saying she is know she's about already, Dyson. She's already stuck in the causal loop, so you you can't have it both ways. She can't both be part of a of a perpetual cycle and change the perpetual cycle at the same time. You're 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 playing with two different forms of of time travel when you've already established that this is how it works. Well, and I, I think that's uh, with the movie. If if I can if I can build on that a little bit, I think. And we, we did say we really weren't going to talk about the subsequent movies. But I think what happened is in the first movie, they kind of said that everything is inevitable, like you're saying, Scott. And then in this movie, they decided to change the tone of that. And I don't think it was lazy writing. I think it was what they... Well, yeah, because... Uh, I, th- I think they just wanted to change it. And, and they wanted to make it a more upbeat thought that, you know, your future is what you make it. Right. Yeah. No, uh, no fate, but what we make our own. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and I but, but I think, but I think the subsequent that. movies have kind of renewed the original thought and said, yeah, they thought fate is what you make it, but no, no matter what you do, time is still going to kind of correct itself. You may be able to kill Miles Bennett Dyson, but then someone else is going to invent Cyberdyne or uh, Skynet. Right. Well, you know, that, that, he says it in the third movie. Judgment Day is inevitable. Yeah. So well, I, see, I, I that, think that, you know, I think I think so. I, I think ultimately the message, if you take the movies in mass, is uh, you may try to change things, but, you know, you, you, you can only you can only kind of divert them. You can't change them. Well, Scott, from we things also I don't know from, see, from would, the way the movie ends leaves it ambiguous. Yeah, they think they've changed things, but you don't know. They that think they they've have. changed it, but they don't necessarily know that they have. That's why the uh, the the scene that Scott talked about earlier that was cut out wasn't used because they decided to tie it up too neatly. They wanted to leave it ambiguous as to whether or not they changed the future. If you just stop it at, the, at Terminator Two, you know you can kind of decide in your own mind whether they did or they didn't. Well, the movie doesn't say that they succeeded in changing the future. Scott, from things I, I've heard about the plot for the latest movie, uh, just wait till you can see it for free or whatever or on TV because you're not going to like it. <laughs> Trust me. This thing's about it. I, I, we, as, as I said before we got started you know, with, with the recording, I mean, I've, I've enjoyed them all to various levels. You know, I really don't think you're going to I really don't think you're going to like it. But I mean, I, I was trying not to future inject, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to take this one, you know, well, we're talking as, about time travel stands because, you know, 
because the third one in, in my and this is one of the reasons I don't understand why people don't like the third one more. The third one to me fixes this fatal flaw of the second one by by you know pointing out what Mike said you know that uh, you know it was all ine- inevitable and it was it was mm-hmm. still going to happen. All you did was kind of delay it and it, it's kind of the the Stephen King uh, approach to, to time travel that time fights back. You know time fights to reassert itself. And to and to self correct, you know, you you can try to change it, but it's it's going to steer itself back onto the tracks, you know, at some point. And that's that's one of the things I really like about the third one. But again, you know, that that's you know future injecting. I, I hope we tackle that movie on its own at some point. Um, but even, yeah, and, but I mean, that, and we like will. But 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 as as Mike pointed out, though, you you know, this is their perspective. They think they've won. They think they've changed it. Uh, but you don't, you know, there is no confirmation that that actually happened. Right. There's no point in this movie where, where, you know, where their uh, theory is borne out by, you know, seeing that it's not going to happen, and then, you know, then we go to sequels, and they'll they'll show well, us what, know, what what will that, and won't happen. With that, you know, that ending that they ended up dropping, you know, that was only available in the special edition, you know, that that makes it clear that they did. But I, I guess right. I. I I kind of, in a strange sort of way, I've considered that canon of this movie, right? And and it's really not. So yeah, I, I can well, see well, that. I, I mean, to to try and take it, you know, from the meta perspective, I think James Cameron did in, intend what you what bothers you. I think he did. he did intend that you you know that they did change the future. I think he intended that this was going to be the final scene we were going to see from the Terminator and that this was going to be it. Uh, you know, sequels were in existence and around back then, but they weren't quite as prevalent as they are now. It and, kind of seems right. like when they changed their mind, they just tacked on a loop of uh, the road leading up to Cyberdyne, threw some Saturn narration on it and closed the movie. Yeah, so, right. I, you know, but I, I think, while you know, while I think your criticism is well-founded, uh, first of all, it didn't didn't impact my enjoyment of this movie in the slightest, even though you, I don't disagree with you. Uh, and secondly, I, like I said, I think it's, it, you know, if, if you want to look at it from the perspective of, you know, a, a uh, you know, someone who, who wants the continuity and wants everything to fall together, then you just have to look at it from the perspective that Mike gave us and say, you know, they never really confirm it. And it's, you know, <laughs> it, it, they're, they're, ju- they're just wrong. The they're just wrong when they think they changed the future. You know, this isn't this isn't Back to the Future where you got the photo when they're fading and all of a sudden they start coming back. Right. The only way they're going right. to know if they succeeded is if they is by living the future. Well, I mean, as you say, you know, the thing with with Cameron deciding to to change, you know, change the tone, and I I still think try to change the rules. I mean, that's that's definitely a big part of it for me. I, I've never liked the whole. You know, little speech that uh, I think it's John that says it. You know, yeah, he does. He's remembering something that uh, that Reese supposedly told Sarah about. You know, the future's not set and all that. My problem with that is that, yeah, sure, that could have happened off screen that we never saw, but that bugs me. I mean, we were meant to think that we spent, you know, all the time that these two had together with the characters. You know, clearly we never heard that in the in the first movie. 
and now they're making it a pretty big plot point of this movie. And again, that always bugged me quite a bit that, you know, yeah, that, that, that playing me fast and loose. No fate was never mentioned in the first movie. Right. Exactly. Yeah, well, uh, that's I, like I said, I don't think you have an unfair perspective on it, but for whatever reason, it didn't bother me in the slightest. <laughs> I wanted to mention something else before it gets uh, before I forget it. And that's the effective use of twins in this movie, because at oh, this yes, time, yes, yes. I did not know that Linda Hamilton had a twin sister. Nor did I. Or, I, I, or uh, and I, I, I love I, I love the, the twins that play the guard. I think I yeah, because I I, 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 I I remembered them from Gremlins, which I think was before this Gremlins two, because they, they were in, uh, yeah. Good Morning Vietnam as well, aren't they? As twins or just one of the guys? I think they're twins in that movie. I don't. They remember. almost always appear together. When I because well, they, they they don't really don't have acting roles to speak of. They they're no. more just like plot points and little right. side. But, but so so seeing them first and then later seeing the two Linda Hamiltons, I'm like, all right, well, I know we had twins earlier, but I mean, how did they pull this off? That That's amazing. What do you mean she has a twin sister? Well, they brought in the twin sister actually for a scene that wasn't even that didn't even make the movie. But I thought she was in the, at the end when they're in the um, she, she was called. Yeah, I think that was filmed later. <laughs> oh, OK. Yeah. That's I I just I think that scene at at the uh, whatever it is the uh, iron plant the smelting smelting the smelting plant is yeah. just I, I think Feel it's incredible no. it's just uh you know when 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 he he's poking her through this has gotta hurt <laughs> call to John <laughs> I, I know I, this hurts <laughs> or or when when she she comes in and she's shooting him and she gets him just about on the edge and then he gives her the the waving finger yeah. Yeah, because oh, yeah. she doesn't have a bullet because she dropped one. No bullets left. <laughs> hey, laughing boy. I actually dropped it. Some of those, um, um, like, were actual squibs that blew up on them, too. That Like, it wasn't all it wasn't all digital. Like, it was actual physical. Oh, the, uh, where the bullets hit them? Yeah, yeah, with, like, the silver spoik. And just, yeah. You mean they really blew a hole in his head? No, I think that one was fake. Well, that well, no, that was not practical, but it was like a big piece, and then they, you know, yeah, that, that, that like was a guy in a body cast, you know, with the, you know, all with all blow when they, you know, boop, shot the shot shot the grenade at him. Boop. That was one, of, one like of the, the one of the great, the way he was great special effects is when uh, when when they when they shoot him, I guess, with the grenade, and his body it kind of explodes, yeah. and he's split in half. He's like, whoa, whoa. That's, that's a great, great special of, effects sequence. Of course, I'm rocking back, back and forth, but nobody can see that. <laughs> so before we get to rating this, anybody got any other points we should hit on? Um, do, do you think um, Do you think some of it's a little cheesy, though? Not in the slightest. What are you talking about? Not from about? the time. I mean, what do you not, mean? You mean good? now or back then? Uh, both. Uh, like what, what, like the, what the, aspect the, of it? You you mean the with e. Arnold with the smiling? Always. And, yeah, yeah. Some really of that was pretty well. Some, but you got um, a ten year old. I, I mean, I, now granted, I don't have a solution for how you could end it better or or you know end it differently, but the whole you know when John starts crying and you know it's just it's an E.T. ending and then you know the thumbs up yeah, as the it, Terminator it, it, just it, uh, that's. 
that every oh. time I watch that, I'm it like, it goes oh, on too long. And you know what? I love it. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I don't think it's cheesy. I love it. I think okay. it's great. I think Arnold now, gets his chance to be I... heroic. Uh, I, I, you know, I think Edward Furlong actually does a pretty good job of acting in his E.T. E. moment. And even the thumbs up, you know, is fine with me. I cannot you know, self-terminate. E.T. I just don't get it. Yeah, we know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one thing I want to bring up. Before when when next time you're here, I'm going to do a Clockwork Orange with you. <laughs> No, they make no. a big. Sorry, Mike. They, go ahead. They make a big deal out of the scene where he swears to not kill anybody, mm-hmm. but he hasn't killed anybody in the movie up until that point. But he was going to. He He's was going to shoot. He was going to shoot that one guy in the head if uh, John hadn't hit his yeah, arm. But was he? What was he going to shoot him because he perceived him as a threat to John? Yes. Because if you look, watch the scene where he gets his clothes, he hurts everybody, but he doesn't kill anybody. Hmm. Well, yeah, it just caught me off guard that all of a sudden he was going to kill somebody when he, he had, is had a Terminator. Had well, yeah, <laughs> but he he wasn't much of a Terminator until he ran to that. Yeah, but he probably had a directive from John in the past telling him or excuse me, the future telling him to go back and find his past self and don't hurt anybody. However, then when he found John in the past and there was a direct threat to them, he would protect John and override that. Right, initial and he plan. would eliminate he would eliminate that threat. So then John had uh-huh. to reaffirm that order by by telling him not to hurt anybody. I, I I'm not I'm, not I'm not with you on that one because I don't th- I don't think he had a prior order not to kill. I th- I think Mike is just catching the uh, the thing James Cameron put in there. I think to try and keep the violence at a fair level, uh, but was right. hoping you wouldn't notice. Right. I've watched this movie enough that I noticed those things now. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a good catch, I think. So doesn't that doesn't that make him then susceptible to the same criticism that Lucas and Spielberg would would later take with um, la- um, shit? I can't think of the name of it. Crystal Skull, because they they took a lot of flack that Indiana Jones was kind of pussified in that movie, and you know because he doesn't he doesn't outright murder anybody in that one except for the the blow dart gun guy in that one because they wanted to tone it back they wanted to make it more child friendly because they knew that kids were watching these movies and stuff so doesn't that kind doesn't of a guy get eaten I, by I, ants in that movie but 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 <laughs> indiana jones doesn't kill him. but indiana jones but indiana jones didn't kill him yes yeah, i i think i think it opens him up to the same criticism but i think the criticism is unfair in both cases i, th- I don't think there's anything wrong with with creatively showing your violence in a way where it's not over the top. I don't think you there's anything wrong movie. with that. But the violence in, well, I wouldn't say it was over the top, but I mean, the first one is, you know, it, it has a, a real visceral, you know, well, the first one is more of a horror movie to it. First yeah. one is more of a horror movie. I, I, I consider the first one to be a science fiction slash horror slash adventure or action movie. This right. one I consider to be a science fiction slash action movie without the horror. Right. I don't think this has the horror element that the first one does. I'm not even, if you, I mean, if you change all the F-bombs in this movie, I'm not even sure this would get an R now. I don't think it would get an R now, but, uh, uh, you know, at the time it was an R movie. I don't think the violence would would bring it to an R level at all. I think this this could be on TV, you know, uncut pretty much. Films, I don't remember that. There's a few. There's, I don't think there's a lot. I don't think it's. I I don't think this would be an R movie at all at this point. 
I agree with you, Mike. Sarah, Sarah dropped some serious F-bombs when she was going after Dyson. <laughs> you don't know what it's like to have a baby growing inside you. <laughs> pour one out for let's pour one out for Miles Dyson, shall we? Let's let's talk about Michael Dyson for a moment before we rate this, because we didn't mention him at all. I, I think he's great in this movie. <laughs> I, I, think, I didn't know. I, I think yeah, you know he he he's appropriately you know like oblivious, obli- oblivious to what he's doing wrong, and when he finds out what he's doing wrong, he's mortified by it, and he's willing to sacrifice his yeah, life right. to stop it. But I, how I, could you even and he's guess that that's well? I don't I don't know about that. He was dying but, anyway. Do you no, but think but he he put knew himself... it was a suicide mission no. when he went in though. No, no but he, I knew I but I think him. he knew he was putting I I think he knew he was putting his life at risk. I don't think he right. I don't think he went in there as a suicide mission like I'm absolutely not coming out of this alive. But I, I think, think he I think he went in knowing it could shot. happen. I think he knew that he you know that he was taking a risk with his life. Right. So to me, you know, that's that's almost as heroic, <laughs> or it, it is as heroic. You know, you're risking your life to 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 save the world. You know, what, what more is he supposed to do? So, and and I just I thought the actor was it Joe Morton? Is that his name? Yes. Yep, I thought yes. he did a great job, and then he, and he's been you know, playing scientist ever since. Yeah. Yep. He was uh, what? On, oh, is it Fargo? No, 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 no. Wait, no, no. Eureka, Eureka. He was on that. Actually, now he's on God Friended Me. My wife watches that on Wasn't Sunday. Wasn't he on one of, the, one of the CW superhero shows? Uh, it's Smallville for a while. Did he? Maybe, maybe oh, that's what yeah, I'm thinking of. I think he was the first Professor Hamilton. Okay. I believe you're right, yes. All right, so now we get to the big question, guys. Is it yours? Who wants to go first? You know what? I'm going to go first. Screw you all. I'm gonna, for me, this is yours. This is a great melding of action, and I do think there's... You know, a decent amount of science fiction in it. I don't mind the bending of the rules a little bit, and ultimately, as as we indicated, it's it's left somewhat ambiguous. So I don't know that they are bending the rules that much. Uh, the special effects were groundbreaking and hold up to to date. The you know it, it's got a lot of sequences that mirror what we did in the first one without ever feeling like it's just a rehashing of the first one. Uh, the, the, the double Terminator as opposed to the human protector, uh, you know, is, is a great thing. And even even when you know it's coming, it's still great. So I just think it's nearly a perfect movie, in my opinion. So I'm, I'm giving it a top rating. Uh, I am going to go with the with the Jaws, Jaws on this as well. I mean, because when I think back to when it came out, how much I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I mean, Scott pointed out, and I, I think I pointed out, too, like in the future, you know, they kind of do don't really follow their rules. But I, I was fine with this at the time. And I do remember reading that novelization now, too, Scott, because I, I remember reading that on the ship a few years later after it was in, like, the ship's library. Somebody where they had got all, you know, one of the guys brought it and just left it in there. It was like a catch-all. You know, you would bring a book in and just leave it there. And I remember reading that um, that ending there. So yeah, I I would say it's it's Jaws. I will say it's Jaws. All right, and uh, I'll give this one Jaws all, as well. You know, I, I loved this movie when I saw it for the first time all those years ago. I still watch it and and enjoy it now. Yes, it it has its problems in some areas. I mean, one of the things I said I, about the first movie that I really enjoyed was the fact that the first movie didn't have a lot of a lot of bullshit. 
this movie has some bullshit, but I, I still enjoy it uh, despite that. So, yeah, for me, this is just. Oh, man. I have just I got to be honest. Uh, for me, it would fall somewhere between a, a, a Jaws 2 and a Jaws 3. So a Jaws 2.5, I guess. Um, I, I find it to be a, a fun and enjoyable action movie, but I find it to be the worst kind of sequel in my opinion um a sequel that not only doesn't really bring anything original it just largely tries to it, it just tries tries to give you more of the same um but it doesn't do it near as cleverly and uh to me you know i always judge a sequel by does it does it bring anything new to the story or does it you know does it hurt or does it enhance the original and in this instance i think it hurts the original um, because it doesn't play by the same rules that were, were clearly established in the first movie. Uh, I think it's got a, just a lot of cheese, a lot of stupid Arnold one-liners. and I mean, I know that's kind of his thing, but he didn't do that in the first movie, and I think that's one of the things that really helps the first movie and, and makes it a great movie is that Arnold wasn't Arnold yet in the first one. Arnold is clearly Arnold in the second one, and I think it detracts a bit. Um, plus, you know, Mike, you know, as Mike said, you know, the, the, the first one is lean and mean and the second one, it's a little long and it's, it's a little beefy. Um, that middle of the movie drags like shit. Every time I watch this, the whole going into the desert and the dreams, it, it, it still and, does. you know, every, you know, before they get going again, you know, when she gets to, to Dyson's house, it, it really sags in the middle. Uh, quite a bit. Yeah, so it's like I, the escape from it's the escape from the hospital right into the return to the city. That whole yeah. section of like Bleh. yeah. The the more you watch it, or at least for me, the more I watch it, the more that's that's the part of the movie that that really seems to sag in the middle. Um, I mean, I there there I have a number of of issues with it. Um, you know, a, a lot of it has to come down to just the tone, um, uh, some of the acting. Um, I really didn't like what they did with Sarah. Um, we, we didn't talk a whole lot about that, but I, I, I was, I've never been comfortable with that. Maybe you're not supposed to be cause it's just, it's weird. It's icky. The, you know, the guard licking her face and all that. And, uh, I, I never really liked the whole thing with, uh, with Dr. Silberman and all that. It always, I don't know. It always creeps me out, but again, maybe it's supposed to, maybe it's, I, supposed I think it to is make supposed you to. weird and uncomfortable. Yeah, but I, think I just, so. I, I, did, I didn't like that. And that um, guard got his comeuppance. Yeah. And, and it's supposed but, to be that when he gets it, you're like, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I mean, it sounds like I'm just concentrating on the negatives and, and I don't want to do that because, you know, there is a lot to like about it. I do enjoy it, you know, again, just, you know, on an action movie level, it's it's hard to beat. I mean, it's it's got some incredible action. It's got some incredible visuals. Um, Cameron did some really cool stuff. I mean, this this was really the movie, I think, where, where Cameron was becoming Cameron. And he does some some really amazing things, you know, camera wise and, you know, different shots and things like that. It's just overall it's it's sequelitis. And I think the original Terminator, quite honestly, I think it's a movie that that, you know, much like Jaws, I think was probably best never having a sequel because it just it, it works the way it works. It's a nice, tight little circle that 
you know, as tempting as it is sometimes because, you know, you, you come to love characters or you come to love a concept to want to keep revisiting it and going back and everything. I, you know, there's certain stories that maybe you're just better off, you know, let them let them live that life and, and leave them alone and don't keep trying to go back to that well because it just doesn't quite work. And unfortunately for me, T2 just it doesn't quite work, at least not the same way that the first one did. So. Yeah. You know what? I, I respectfully disagree, but I respect your opinion, and I have no problem that you feel that way. And I will not try and change your opinion. Uh, you know, if this whole conversation, you know, we we discussed the movie at length, and you know, if, if that doesn't change anything, I'm not going to change it now by just you know saying your your opinion sucks. <laughs> ah, so. I thought of a movie where Arnold was a villain Go in ahead. the time frame specified. If you think about Total Recall, he was the hero and the villain because right. he was Hauser. Right. He That's was Cohagen's buddy. See you at the party, Cohagen. <laughs> so that'll do it for Terminator 2. Maybe we'll do Total Recall, but I'm sure we're going to do Terminator 3 somewhere down the line, and I'll have this, this wonderful panel back again for that. Thank you guys for joining us. And uh, tune in again in two weeks for the next movie. I'm sorry, no! John. I'm sorry. No, it'll be okay. Stay with us. It'll be okay. I have to go away. No, don't do it. Please, don't go. I must go away, John. No! No, wait. Wait, you don't have to do this. Sorry. No, don't do it. Don't go. It has to end here. I order you not to go. I order you not to go. I order you not to go. cry but it's something I can never do <laughs> <laughs>